0: Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future, presented by me, Jimmy McLaughlin, a former Downing Street advisor on technology and entrepreneurship. Today's guest is an old friend. Peter Dowd has been involved with a number of startups, as he'll talk about today. Originally starting with a Japanese beer company, transitioning through a cleaning company, and today, now working on Elder, tackling the social care crisis. It is going to be one of the areas of growth when it comes to jobs, is how we look after our elderly. And it's going to be one of the seismic challenges for the 21st century. In addition to that, I wanted to let you know that our partners, Octopus, have released a major report in the last week on femtech, or female technology, to give its full name, which is assessing all the different expanding areas of their health investments. And where the opportunities lie. They are now the most active health care investor in the UK and the report does a deep dive into lots of different sections about where we can improve this. We obviously did the episode with Pooja just a couple of weeks ago who is still a practicing GP but is also a partner in the Octopus Ventures team and it's definitely worth looking and listening to that episode and finding out what Octopus are doing in this space. One of the key things that the report does is trying to break down the stigma, particularly when it comes to fertility. One in seven couples struggles to conceive. It's not something that is necessarily talked about as much as it should be. And the report looks at all the different technology investments that are going to make this hopefully an easier and smoother and more successful process for people we have put a link to the report into the show notes so that you can see more information on to today's episode so pete welcome to jimmy's jobs of the future great to be here jimmy And so we're starting the third series by asking the guests to give their elevator pitch to the PM. And of course, uh, you came to Downing Street and had dinner with the Chiefs of Staff back in 2016. And it'd be great to hear how Elder has evolved in that time and what your elevator pitch is now. Sure, yeah. I mean,
1: in short, Elder's the the better way to care for those you love. Um, So we provide a live-in care experience, which provides personalised one-to-one care, in the comfort of your own home, and stops you having to move into a care home prematurely. We um, started Elder in 2016, and um, we've now pro- provided more than seven million hours of care in, in around 500 towns and cities across the UK. So, obviously, started small with our first couple of customers, and, and have seen this experience kind of really resonate with with both families and, and carers alike. Where did you come up with the idea for it? I started another business before Elder called Mop dot uh, com, which was a home services marketplace. So that was connecting people with, with cleaners and, and handymen in about 10 cities across the UK and sold that business to, to a company in the US, Handy. And after spending a bit of time with Handy, um, working for them, it was, it was thinking about what comes next. And, and for me, it was kind of these two things, really, of wanting to do something with more purpose and also kind of really build a world-class team around something and i really went back to personal experience um where you know for my family on, on my mum's side um come from a big scottish family and you know my my grandmother was this amazing very fiercely independent and scottish woman who who needed support obviously as as she aged and and we struggled as a family you know started as the family trying to look after to my gran and then it's maybe some visiting carers and ultimately it was a care home but but the whole process was was pretty brutal um to be honest and and it was that jimmy that you know, when I looked at, look, where do I want to spend the next 10, 20 years plus building something that, that really endures? It felt like the care sector was, was kind of a space that, that was really crying out for kind of a new approach.
0: And it's probably a relatively straightforward question, but where did the name Elder come from and what was your thought process behind that? it's an interesting one
1: yeah well we had the idea so me and my co-founder tom and um, who you know we we're best mates and we, we started our first business mop together and, and then did elder together as well you know we had this idea in the space and then actually i remember walking down broadway market in, in east london and was was thinking about this and then it was just that name of elder and it was really thinking of really the concept of an elder in different cultures and you know kind of seeing that as someone that's a trusted person of age and experience and Really, I thought, what better way to encapsulate that in the business than call it elder itself and, and really go against that grain, I think, of often how, particularly in the UK, how the elderly are perceived in society, which I think can be pretty negative. You know, if you see a lot of articles or TV, it's always a picture of wrinkly hands or someone looking very sad um, and, and nervous, and it was really trying to promote it in a, in a
0: far more kind of positive way. I mean, you say it was your what was your first business with Tom, but of course you did have a couple of other ones. We've known each other for quite a while. So I share that you, you did try an Asian beer at one stage as well, correct? We did. Yeah,
1: I should not forget the the uh, the mega business that was Drink with the double K at the end of it. we we love to add a letter <laughs> at the end of a business name. So Drink was, um, to call their business maybe a bit grandiose, but yeah, Tom and I, um, we imported a container of Sapporo Um, we loved the beer ourselves and, and we imported the container from Japan to Tom's farm in Suffolk and then shipped it um, to and from via zip vans into London to try and sell it, um, across restaurants and bars in London and ultimately struggled with that and made a big loss, but had a lot of fun dipping it. Um, ultimately, yeah, if anyone knows that the pub, the drunken monkey in Shoreditch, they bought the majority of it, um, for a lot less than we paid for it, um, But we we really got the bug. I think at that time, I was a lawyer and Tom was a trader and we were kind of looking for, you know, we wanted to do something. And and that actually, I'll always remember drink really fondly because it's what
0: ultimately, I think, took us to starting something properly. And it made you learn vast amounts, clearly. Um, And when it comes to kind of the culture behind elderly care, which you you touch on there, I'd be interested in your experiences of, of raising money and how it's been different. Um, a couple, Because you've been in very different sectors, kind of the cleaning, home care industry, very different from elderly care and so on. So I'd love your kind of reflections on how you went about raising money and, and what the differences have been. And if there is, has been any bias sort of against the negative perception of elderly care.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely been across MOP and Elder, two, di- two, two different routes kind of that, that were taken. I think with MOP first. Coming in, you know, I was obviously coming out of having been a lawyer and, and Tom was a trader, but we didn't really have a clue, I'll be honest, about building companies, you know, and raising money was part of that. So the way we started mop was we basically put all our own money into it. So, you know, we each saved up some stuff over the five years we'd been working and we put all of that in. We then started maxing the credit cards, which isn't a good long-term strategy. So I knew, look, we this seems to be working. We were getting lots more bookings across London to use the the mop service. But what I actually did then was I, I just went to maybe not the way to go, but it was kind of um, people I knew. So that was actually, so two partners at the law firm I'd worked at, put money in alongside actually a client that I'd advised when I was a lawyer, who's a great guy called Julian Coppock, who had built a, and expanded the chain of KFCs um, in the South of England. Um, And he put some money in as well. And then, you know, a little bit from family and and a couple of friends. And, And that was kind of, mop for the first year almost actually so we we went very very lean and mean which i think you know what overall was felt like completely the right approach because we figured out how to do it you know we made we did more with less you know we really was understanding how to to scale this and and then we raised some venture after about a year um elder was a, a bit of a different path i think built one business particularly when when there's analogies between the two you know there's both marketplaces both people-based marketplaces and and services, and you've kind of been on that scaling journey. Actually, raised venture capital, so raised eight hundred thousand pounds before we launched Elder um, from Hummingbird Ventures. So that's a, a great fund based out of Belgium, um, run by a guy called Baron and his partner Firat. And I'd got to know both of them um, during building MOP and really liked them. Um, and basically actually just went to Barron with the idea. It was kind of a, a sheet of A4 and saying, look, we like this space. This is kind of the concept. And and they kind of backed it at that stage. So that was, you know, the advantage there is you've got more capital earlier on. And I think overall, it was a good route for us. But, it, you know, I think it, it came with having kind of done MOP first. Um, but into the space, I think, I think people see the potential in CARE. There's some investors, I think, that might look at a space like CARE and, and see maybe risk. Or, or other things, or it looks gritty and tough. It's not the maybe the sexiest of sexes that that people um people look at and talk about. But I think you know the right investors for us. They see a seismic size of problem to solve. You know, a really big opportunity to to make a difference and make an impact. But also really support you know for carers, create a much better proposition for them. For customers, give them you know everything they've really been looking for. And um, so we've been able to find it. It started with Hummingbird and. We've raised about £16 million pounds since um, from investors like MMC and Acton Capital. So it's it, it's worked well for us so far going down the venture the capital route.
0: Well, some of the kind of venture capital language is around serviceable, addressable market and total addressable market to Sam and Tam, to those that use them regularly. And this is where we have discussed before what you're trying to do is effectively increase the the size of the market because you're allowing people to live at home for longer and lead more fulfilled lives before having to go into care homes can you give us your vision of how the market changes over the next decade yeah for
1: sure i think number one yeah is it's a very very big market you know from a size you, you currently have across the uk you've probably got the best part of Around 1.3 million people receiving a form of formal care, so where they're they're paying for it, or or the government is paying for it, and that's split around 800,000 people in receiving some form of care at home, and around 500,000 people receiving care in, in an institution, effectively, so either in a in a care home setting. Um, you've also got you know six million informal carers in the UK, so that's family members looking after other family members and stuff like that. But from a paid formal perspective, you're looking. Those people, that's about 25 billion pounds a year of spend. And the way that the system works, obviously been in the news a lot recently, but at the moment, you know, about 40 to 50% of that spend is is self-pay out of pocket. Um, and then when you look at the macro pressure, I guess, look, what's happening in the population, et cetera, the 85 plus population is going to double in the next 17 years, you know, and ultimately what's happening for us all. It's fantastic that we're living much longer, which is great but we're also living longer in, in worse health often, you know, so comorbidities. So, you know, um, conditions like diabetes and, uh, and heart disease and others, um, can sadly really be tough to deal with alongside sadly some other age conditions, whether that's a form of dementia, Parkinson's. So the need, you know, the, the pressure on the system from the demand is huge. Um, and so what we've seen, you know, elder service effectively is living care. That's where we've started. And that is a carer moving into the home of a loved one to work, to care for them full-time. And full-time care is is dominated by the care home. Uh, and that was the bit for me, I think, coming into this market where it just didn't sit right. I think based obviously on my, my, our personal experience as a family, but then, you know, every, so many other stories of people I, people I know and um, the, where what we've seen is, people don't really want to move into a care home, but they kind of feel they're forced into it. And it's been this default solution for about 200 years. The care homes actually originate from Victorian poor houses, where people that weren't able to care for themselves and didn't have anywhere else to go would would go to those houses. And I think obviously, look, care homes, are I'm, I'm not trying to say they're the same as those at all, but that was, <laughs> that was the, the concept. And I think for the care home, there's absolutely a role for them. But most people want to stay, like home is where you've You've often spent decades of your life. It's not just at bricks and mortar. It's memories. It's um, it's a community around it. It's where the family often all comes back together. It means a ton. Um, and I think that was the the concept for me is actually look, what if we could create an experience in people's own home that actually can provide full time care as well? You know, so you can design that. So actually, people, you know, they don't have to go into that care home and make that decision as quickly, and they can spend more richer time um, where they want to be in, in their own home. And, and so really expanding what is a very small living care market um, into something much more sizable. Um, but it, it took um, a really compelling proposition, I think, to, to get that trend starting to happen.
0: How far was this market to, to get started in? Because it's a huge amount of trust that, you're, um, that somebody's placing in you. And surely that that's probably why the care home has been the sort of um, existing uh, default position a, a, a lot of the time is because they're institutions in their own right. Yeah, you know, as a, a startup, how have you cultivated that that trust? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm definitely glad that Elders not my first business.
1: Um, it, it's, a, it's a tough sector and it's a, it's a really tough proposition to build up, but it, it's worth it. And I think from a trust perspective, it's a great question on trust and I've always thought about trust when you're building something is you're basically you are what you do, um, not just what you say. And and so for us, trust is about living up to that. You know what what are we doing to generate it? And if if you're a customer of Elder, you know you're going to want to know is that recruitment and vetting process for carers, you know, exceptional? Um, am I going to get that choice of carers that you speak about? Um, am I actually going to get that peace of mind when you know are people going to turn up when they're supposed to? And, is this carer going to actually understand my mum or dad's needs and what they like to do and, and and going to support them? And then if from the carer side, you know, that they're, they're going to be out looking for, you know, I, I don't want to be matched with anyone. I want to be matched with the right family for my skill set and, and what works for me. And, you know, flexibility matters. I've got my own life as well. you know, I want a good pay and and rewards and progression. And it's almost like breaking those things apart when you think about trust in all sides, you know, and also employees in the office and others like it's just about the follow through. I've always thought and, and like really delivering on those things. I think the other thing for me on trust and it's being in the case is when things don't go right, which is, you know, which is going to happen, you know, we've delivered about 7 million hours of care now, you know, things will go wrong sometimes yeah. It's get out in front of that and be honest and understand why it's happened. Um, and, and what you're going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. And that's another integral bit. I think on, you know, both keeping and building back trust is, is that part as well but it is, it's all, it's all in the doing.
0: How has your culture changed over the years? And you say there, it's not your, Yeah, it's not your first business. What mistakes did you make first time around when it came to that company culture that you haven't made this time? I think the biggest thing for me is
1: probably we weren't with MOP, we weren't deliberate with culture, you know, and, and the things that come from it. So when you think about hiring and retaining talent and you think about how communication works and decisions are made and you know making sure people have got development parts, etc that, that stuff um we'd never done it before so we didn't really know what it was and i think at the start what also made a L- mop great was you just get on with stuff you know you've got you start with the two of you then you've got five people 10 20 and we got up to about 50 people with mop and up to about 25 or so people kind of everyone kind of can do everything. You know, you, you, you've got a lot of people, you know, communication just works and people are working on the right stuff and you're just getting stuff done. I think for me, obviously what's great with elder is, you know, we've kind of gone much further than we, than we were not from a scale perspective. Um, but that was the difference for me this time was just being a lot more deliberate about the culture. And I think, so for me, when I boil it down, when, what are we trying to do elder culture wise is, is build a really high performing culture, um, and that really matters. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, have you got clear goals? You know, have you got motivated people working on the right things? Um, you know, have you got good communication? Is it easy to get stuff done? Have people got a bias for action? You know, are they able to progress? It's been, I think for me as we we're around just under 150 people now, and it's been kind of really thinking about those things and making sure you got the right leaders in the business to to make sure those things happen. And, um, you know, and you're spending the time on them because it doesn't just happen by itself and tons of stuff will go wrong, you know, and, and we don't get everything right. And it's often when, you know, we just haven't focused on something enough. You, you rely on a process or something that's really worked for a while, but it will just suddenly break. And so I guess increasingly when you're a leader and whether you're the founder and CEO, you just start running further ahead to try and see those points and And then have leaders alongside you that have effectively been there and done it Um, and, you know, have have been on that curve. Um, But it is, I think, you know, when people, culture means a lot of different things to different people. But for me, it's, yeah, it's really been about that high performance.
0: And what roles are you hiring for when you get to that stage? I mean, you talk about you're already three times the size you were in your previous business what are the roles that you are looking to to fill now and over the next year
1: yeah i think so at the moment so we've got to focus on you know on the product and technology side so you know that's there's obviously product managers engineers um is a big part for us you know technology is is the bedrock of 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 what we do at elder to make sure the carers get to focus on doing a great job caring for people and but the technology is doing a huge job alongside them so definitely on the product and engineering side and um, also on the clinical side, you know, for us. So that's obviously unique to us as a business, but make sure we've got great um, clinical people and marketing is another function at the moment where I um, just had a new chief commercial officer join Elder. Um, and we're very focused at the moment on on some roles in, in that team. But I think outside of that, then the big bit for us is recruiting carers, you know, so we'll recruit um, more than 2000 carers in the next 12 months. And so it's obviously, again, making sure, you know, for us that that you know, as a, as a job, as a proposition, it's really compelling and, and, and we, we get the, the right carers across the UK come aboard. But look, I'm, I'm always on the hunt for, uh, you know, people that are smart, curious and, and hardworking, like definitely feel free to, to email me. I'm peterelder.org. i um, more than happy to to hear from people because um, it is, we, um, yeah, we'd always welcome it.
0: Yeah, well, that's, that's great. Um, great to hear. I and mean, I know you started a, a lot of people's Careers with the sectors that you've been in, and and talk to us about those two thousand carers and the type of role that it is, because it probably does suffer from a certain type of of stigma, um, and how we can can break that that down, um, because that's probably one of the key challenges. You know, it's it's a common theme that we hear about, um, you know, from. From campaigners to the government saying, you've got to fund social care more. And what they're really talking about is, is funding jobs, right? That's what it comes down to and making them seem better jobs. And I would love to kind of get your thoughts on what a modern day carer involves. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge. Plea. I think
1: it's all over the news at the moment, isn't it? That is, you know, there's obviously in care, it's care. The care sector is going through a tough time, and a lot of the focus is on funding and uh, that at the high level. But but when you get into the detail, it is all about creating good jobs. And I think that the problem where the care sector has a challenge at the moment is in a lot of instances, whether it's in care homes or in home care. The jobs at first glance just aren't good, you know, and, and, you know, what makes a good job, I guess for me, is you're looking at things like, you know, this pay and the rewards, but it's also the training and progression, it's community and support. You know, ultimately it's, it's, it's a job that has to matter to people. And they, it's not just attracting them to do it for a small period of time. It's how do you keep them? And, 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 you know, then once do it for longer. And so that's been, I think for us, at elder is breaking those things apart and thinking, you know, how do you make something that is a compelling carer value proposition. You know, it's something they look at and think, do you know what? Yeah, this this works for me. And I think that is at the moment, if you're in the care home sector, often it's minimum wage. Um, it's very stressful because what you're doing now is you're caring for a lot more people on a shift than you used to because of the challenges. You know, the, the working conditions often are, are worse. There's a lot of stress, particularly after COVID. You know, it's been a really tough time to do it. And it doesn't surprise me that a lot of people that are, are leaving the sector, when you put all those things together, it's like I could actually go somewhere else and have a bit of a better job, but also a bit of an easier life. Um, and that is, I think, the, the care sector as a whole have to create better jobs. You know, that, that's going to be a, a huge drive. And I think obviously we're focused on ourselves at, at Elder, um, but there are because there's incredible people. I think that's the main bit for me is both the people that are already working in care like they genuinely are the vast majority. They're hugely empathetic. They're really compassionate. They, they do a role that so many people just couldn't do. But there's also, you know, the best part of 6 million people who are informal carers looking after a family member. I think for us, we're trying to attract them. You know, it's like, look, you, you, you actually have like these amazing attributes. Have you ever considered a career as, as a living carer or a carer way, you know, and, and, and here's what it can be like. And, and we're, we're having real success with that. It's just that often people have never really thought of it. So it's, it's kind of removing the stigma as well. I think it's, it's then on look actually, what is the role? Like, what are you here to do? Um, and, and what do you get for, for doing it? Um, but it is, I think, you know, the care sector, it is, it's, it's all about good jobs.
0: And where do you uh, go to kind of hire these people as well? Yeah. Where are the kind of websites and, and so forth? You said that you're spending quite a bit on, on digital marketing, um, as a function, how do you go about trying to recruit these people?
1: Yeah, well, a, a big channel for us actually, luckily, is word of mouth and referral. I think what we have particularly now is, as we've been going for for you know close to six years at Elder, so we get a large number of people who are hearing about Elder from either carers that currently work with us, who they might be their friends and, and colleagues from from the past, um, or have just heard from us in, in another perspective. And then alongside that, yeah, we bolster that with you know di- certain um, digital marketing. So. For us, places like, you know, paid search and Facebook and others, we've got kind of support groups, et cetera, on Facebook. So all of those things help to kind of bring people towards us. And then it is back to what I was saying, really having that, um, you know, to get people through a recruitment process, but also to get them to stick with you once they're here is having that um, that job and, you know, it being something that's attractive. But yeah, we, we've had about 40,000 people apply to be an elder carer in the last 12 months. Um, we recruited about 1200 of, of those to come on board. Um, and then obviously we're looking to do more than 2000 in the next 12 months. So it really is a, you know, that it it's a, you're looking for a lot of people and for us, it's not just in one location, you know, we we're across the UK. So that's where obviously a BI and, and data and technology is playing a big role for us to understand where's the need, you know, so where do we have a lot of demand and, and also where do we need more carers to make sure that you know, in a marketplace, one of those big challenges is marketplace optimization. How, how do you make sure you've got that balance right? If you're a carer and you can't get, you know, you come aboard, but then you're struggling to get connected with the right family, that's not going to work for you. Um, and at this, you know, you, you could be effectively left on the shelf, so to speak. You can't get into the role you want. So getting all of those things right is important. Um, and so for us, yeah, it's using a, a broad range of channels and then really having the the right proposition that, that makes people join you.
0: That's an incredibly high bar there, right? That's what you said, 1,200 out of 40,000 applications. I mean, that is, you know, sort of getting on for kind of Google HBR sort of levels of application acceptance. And um, can you talk us through the process of that?
1: Yeah, so you'll, it, it is, you know, it's a lot of, I think that's what we're seeing as elders, particularly as our brand awareness, I think has grown a lot in the last couple of years you just start to, you know, that top of the funnel, so to speak, you get a lot more people coming to your website, getting to know you and making that first step. I think for us, the, the process is, is really rigorous. So, you know, from from then on in, you're going through and, you know, you'll you'll be providing details about, look, what is your experience? And also, what are you looking for? You will be doing an online test um, a, a around care. So, you know, you've got situational questions, you've got questions about, Caring experience uh, and other areas, and then if you get an eighty percent plus pass mark, you're then going into a process with them. You're getting to spend you know half a day with that carer and um, recruitment team. So then you're you're spending time with people where we start to um, understand more about you, and um, you get to understand more about how elder works, you know how how to actually deliver care, um, how do you get connected with families, um, all of those different things, and then at the same time, there's obviously a number of different background checks happening. So. And enhanced dbs which is the highest level of, of disclosure in the uk because you're working with vulnerable adults and um, you know id checks right to work checks so a lot of different things happening um but also that one-to-one time is really important so that the the carer that might be joining gets to know what elder is mm-hmm. and, and who we are uh, and then obviously there's a double reference so they'll be providing references that we'll be validating um and then after all of that yeah it's then into that that the critical part is for carers that come aboard that, that role into, you know, that first time with the family. So how do we match you with the right, um, family? And then that try, you know, getting into your, your, your first position where you're looking after someone, um, and making that a success. Um, so it is, it's a, there's a lot of different steps in there, but, but, you know, for us, we're in the business of care, you know, safety Mm. and it is, is absolutely paramount. So it's even more paramount than some other sectors.
0: So what's the most serendipitous hire that you've made Pete over the companies that you've built? Yeah, it's a great question. There's one that stands out actually. So when we
1: were building MOP in the early days, me and Tom, my co-founder, we're on on a bus. I think we were going through, man like Bethnal Greenway into into the city. And actually we were chatting away about the business and and Lord knows what was going on at the time, but there was a guy behind us and he just tapped us on the shoulder and said, love the sound of this. I think you got any jobs. Um, A guy called Simon who became one of our key account managers, basically a a fantastic guy that joined us and was a a key part in, in the journey. And That is wild. You know, you are just having, you wouldn't expect to meet someone in that environment and do it. But then, you know, we got chatting, really impressed with them. The fact that he just, you know, he wanted to chat away. He he was really keen on what we were doing. And he, you know, he took that chance himself and, and it worked out brilliantly. So it is, I think, back to that point, it's all around, if you do meet people that are the right fit and talent, trying to find a role for them. Because sometimes, you know, it's it's not always going to line up perfectly. So you really want to make sure that when you, you've got people like that, they come on a board. Um, but that's definitely one that one that sticks out.
0: When it comes to, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the government's role in social care, but how the government builds back better and levels up, what's your advice as an entrepreneur on how the government should look to do that? A big area for me is areas like apprenticeships. I think, you know, obviously you know,
1: for us, there's care, but in other roles, I think that's definitely been one thing for me. I think for if you're a younger person now and you're looking what's ahead of you, because it is to me, this whole era is jobs is such a key part of the economy and what we're doing, you know, good roles for people that are going to, people are going to be able to progress and they're going to be able to get what they want. And I think for me that it not just having to be, you know, for us, I went to university myself and it was, it, it was great, but I often get a sense from a lot of people I speak to and others that it's almost like, oh, I have to do this. And I think actually showing people that there's lots of different ways into into finding what you want to do and um, so I'm definitely a big fan of promoting you know the roles of apprenticeships and and lots of others coming off that to get people into finding what they actually want to do but not being forced down one certain path um, and I think then outside of that you know running a, a business for us now I guess a, a scale-up obviously you can hire great people from the UK, but then you've got, you know, you need visa and you need people to be able to come from further afield to work. And then you've got to have the right funding. Um, so it's then those big focus areas for me that, you know, good access to capital, great access to talent. And then, you know, as a company, you've got to make sure you're creating great jobs yourself and building something that, you know, customers and, and for us, carers alike are going to, are going to love. Um, but yeah, there's some of the areas to me that kind of really
0: stick out earlier just we were catching up beforehand and you mentioned about the the sort of the sense of purpose and and mission and i think there's a question here i was struck by what you said well i'd love you to kind of expand on this about how you know elder yeah, has a real purpose and you even get kind of christmas cards from customers and so on when it's it's normally very much the the other way around but also you know what is britain's Place in the world post Brexit, post coronavirus, you know, how can we become that more kind of scale up nation? You know, we talk about Germany a lot having like a middle stand, so lots of scaled businesses uh, where we are perhaps a bit over reliant on financial services and so forth. So, what, what can the government's message be on that? I think it is that like, ultimately the UK is a great place to build businesses. Like, I guess we,
1: we end up talking in these types of conversations right, about a lot of the challenges and, you know, what's ahead of us and what we're we going to remove. But that is core, I think in the UK, there is great talent, you know, there's fantastic people that, you know, can be, can be really productive. And there is, I think to that financial piece, what that does help with is access to capital. And I think that to me is important, you know, in whatever form that is, is, is not just talking here about venture capital, but you know, whether that's debt, whether that's another form of capital, I think if you wanna build something very, very big, you're gonna need access to it. And so if you have those things of, of capital and talent, you know, and then you've increasingly got, I think what's great now, if you look, I remember starting MOP at the back end of 2012, it couldn't be more different. You know, when you, there the, the, literally were not that many startups, um, you know, when we were starting off. And I think now when you look across it, there's these huge success stories. You know, if you look at places like Wise and Deliveroo and obviously look that, yeah, they're not at Google scale, but a lot of these businesses are on their way. And I think that's the piece for me. I think it's the optimism as well, where it takes people to keep, you know, banging the drum and keep going. I think that the, the big bit for me in all this is it takes time. And I think I know, you know, we, we just got to all be focused on, you know, it's year after year, day after day, put the effort in. But there are those fundamentals. I think as long as there is that bit of, there's access to talent, there's the, the, the capital there you need, you know, and you've got drive and determination of founders that are willing to take risks and aim big. I think that's the other thing is, you know, not exiting too early or being in a position. And then you have got to have alignment with your shareholders. So I think what is great is what I've been seeing is, you know, when I speak to investors, I'm not just speaking to investors in the UK, speaking to them in Europe, speaking to them in the US, Asia, they are thinking more global. And I think then, you know, they have that long-term mindset. So I think that's important. You need patient capital. You know, you need the time to do these things. I think that's the one big learning for me, building um, Elder and and having done MOP is you've got to be on this 10-year-plus journey. It's not going to happen in a couple of years. And there can be a bit of perception. I think sometimes when people read about startups as if it has all happened very quickly, but, you know, you've got to slog your guts out for a long time. And I think that's the other bit you then need that alignment up and down a business, you know, both in your team members, so the people joining the business, but also your board members, your shareholders, you know, that everyone is aligned to actually what are we trying to do here? You know, we're not trying to build and flip something. We're we're trying to build something that's massively big. It's going to endure, you know, it's going to be around for decades. And that's definitely my hope with Elder is, you know, that piece, that my ultimate dream with Elder is I want to be able to use this service in decades to come when I need support. Um, and I think it's that, you know, that mindset of, you know, whatever my role will be in the business in the future as you're going along, but trying to make sure you set it up in in the right way. I
0: couldn't agree more, but more optimism from politicians, the media wouldn't hurt. I think to have a bit more of that kind of uh, U.S. optimism would be great to, to have here. And so a couple of quick ones to, to finish on. Has there been a business book that's particularly inspired you along the way?
1: I mean, yeah, from an inspiration perspective, there's definitely one, I think, oh, I bet a ton of people to talk about this, but Shoe Dog about, um, you know, Phil Knight, who founded Nike. That was one. I loved reading that. But I mean, that again, to speak about, you know, keep going. Um, he completely encapsulates that. I mean, you know, decades of ups and downs, um, and just kept pushing and, and, and look where he got to. So loved that book. I think another one for me at the business level maybe not quite inspirational but being so helpful is one called the five dysfunctions of a team and um, by a guy called patrick lencioni um and that really it's it's kind of story based but it kind of pulls apart look what makes a great team and what can break them apart um into kind of five very um simple you know it's around um trust and accountability and decision making and vulnerability these kind of different things and, I read it a couple of years ago, and in terms of something I use most and refer back to, it's, it's probably that book
0: that's, that's been really useful. And that's, that's really interesting. The first one has come up a couple of times, but that, the second one has not. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. And if you could go back to any day in history to witness it, which day would you choose? I wouldn't mind going back to
1: Madrid again in 2019 when Liverpool won the Champions League. <laughs> <That> was like, <laughs> I was there for that, and it was that was a great time. Um, so that that was fantastic. You not know, not,
0: the, not the semi semi final win against Barcelona. That was, that, was that, was better, better, yeah. that
1: was a particularly good year. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I've got to be honest. I am a bit outside of um, you know my, uh, my wife, my family, and an elder. Football is a, a massive obsession of mine, so it likely would be something sport related.
0: Do you know what that that game actually the the Liverpool um, Barcelona one was one I really um, kind of fell in love with the power of audio a little bit. So it was wasn't long before I left number ten actually in terms of like entrepreneurial journeys. But I remember sort of having to do loads of stuff that evening like housework and whatever. So I had the game on all all night and just more like background noise really and obviously it was like incredible and I remember being in my kitchen and when the full-time whistle went they actually just they the commentary just went silent and it was just the cop singing you'll never walk alone and it was like it felt like you were there it was so atmospheric and I remember thinking at that point gosh like there's something in this audio something (laughs) in this audio world it's unbelievable because it wasn't because because if it it had been tv you know they would have been going over to the players and like there would have been like just so much kind of going on like i mean it would have been still amazing to watch it but i remember kind of having this like real sort of moment of like this is absolutely um incredible but it's it's probably best we don't go into my team too much (laughs) we get this Getting the job on of what an administrator does. Um,
1: I feel for you with Derby, Jimmy.
0: Oh, it is, um, it is tough. Um, but Pete, it's been amazing to kind of have you on and look, we'd love to do this again in the future. I think it's such an important area that you're doing and it is going to be one of the areas that we see the most um, job growth and one of the areas where technology is going gonna, is gonna to help get rid of perhaps some of the more um, boring and, and harder aspects of it. Um, which is why um, why it's so exciting. Yeah, Jimmy, thanks so much for having me. Loved it. Thank you for listening to this episode in the third series of Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Word of mouth is everything in the audio world. So if you enjoyed this episode, please rate us and send us to a friend. You can find us at Jimmy's Jobs on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. You can also check out our website at www.jobsofthefuture.co for our episode archive, blog posts, and more. If you are a new listener, do look through our previous episodes. We've interviewed entrepreneurs disrupting industries from fintech to hospitality to modern engineering. So whatever sector you're interested in, there'll be something for you there. If you'd like to get in touch, please email us Hello at jobsofthefuture.co. Thanks to our producer Leo Danchak, and thanks to George de Cleland for the artwork.